The Matheson Pensions Podcast. Presented by Deirdre Cummins, partner in the Employment, Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson. This podcast series examines the topical legal issues affecting the operation and management of occupational pension schemes in Ireland and is relevant to pension scheme trustees, employers, pension practitioners and industry professionals. Hello and welcome. My name is Deirdre Cummins and I'm a partner in the Pensions Group at Matheson. In January this year, Matheson hosted a seminar on using bulk annuities to reduce pension plan risk. Following the seminar, we were inundated with requests for the materials and so we are now publishing the audio from the seminar in three parts. In part one, John O'Brien, head of the Strategic Solutions Group at Mercer, provides an overview of the various options available to address pension plan risk and also takes us through the steps involved in a typical bulk annuity transaction. In part two, Jane McKeever, a senior associate in our pensions group, discusses the pension law considerations for employers and trustees when a bulk annuity transaction is being considered. Darren Marr, head of our financial institutions group, also discusses the insurance law aspects of bulk annuity transactions. In part three, Samantha Brown and Rachel Pinto from Herbert Smith Freehills share some lessons from the UK market and provide tips on preparing for a de-risking project of this nature. To give you some background, the seminar focused on annuity buy-in transactions, which are now gaining some traction in the Irish market. These transactions involve trustees purchasing a bulk annuity policy to cover some or all of a pension plan's liabilities, most usually pensioner liabilities. Purchasing a bulk annuity policy allows for risks, including longevity risk and investment volatility, to be transferred from the pension scheme to the insurer. The bulk annuity policy is then held as an investment of the scheme and the policy will provide that the trustees can move to buyout in certain circumstances, including on the winding up of the plan. So here's part one in which John O'Brien of Mercer provides an overview of the various options available to address pension plan risk. Okay, well, thank you, Deirdre, and thanks to Matheson for hosting the event tonight. So essentially what I wanted to do is just uh, talk through uh, briefly the the uh, landscape, I guess, for, for risk transfer, um, essentially to kind of paint a picture, I guess, of where Irish pension schemes are and the relevance of uh, bulk annuities, I guess, at this point in time, and then to talk a little just about how schemes might approach uh, 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 looking at risk transfer and what essentially can be done to try and ensure that uh, from an affordability perspective the best outcome is achieved for the for the members. So I suppose just to start, um, I mean you all know very well I guess where Irish pension schemes are. Most schemes have been through a reasonable amount of thinking I guess just about their, their investments so they've gone through investment journey planning exercises. Many schemes uh, have gone through liability management exercises. These have been very popular of late. Uh, things like enhanced transfer value exercises and the like. But I guess you know many now are kind of, if you like, coming to a crossroads. They might be in a better funding position than they were previously. Uh, we're facing all sorts of governance uh, kind of headaches, I guess, down the tracks that uh, th- that all of our speakers, I guess, will, will will speak to in some sort of context. And you could say that 
some extent we're kind of at a crossroads and the key decision I guess that most schemes have to make at this juncture is whether they're in it for the long run so essentially whether they're going to retain uh, the risks associated with the pension obligations and essentially uh, run that off over long periods of time or alternatively look at transferring uh, the, uh, the risks and transferring the, uh, the, the obligations if you like to, to third parties which uh, essentially uh, are, are insurance companies but perhaps one little kind of twist, I guess, in, in the tale, and one thing that we've seen coming through in other markets, such as Germany and such as the UK, um, we've seen the evolution, if you like, or the dawn of the potential for consolidators. This is a, a, a very sort of hot topic, I guess, uh, in the industry uh, at the moment. But in terms of really securing uh, uh, member benefits, in particular pensioner member benefits, uh, really it's the insurance market we're, we're, we're talking about. Uh, first schemes, I guess, that are minded to retain risks, uh, essentially as they continue to go down their journeys, um, you know, having kind of looked at liability management, having looked at uh, journey planning, if you like, the next steps are about finessing the, the investment portfolio, uh, getting it ready, if you like, to, or getting it more sort of tuned in to matching benefits over the long term, thinking about covenant support um, or how, in essence, uh, is the relationship to the sponsor uh, to evolve as schemes um, uh, uh, achieve better funding positions. And many schemes, I guess, might ultimately end up, or those that choose to retain risk on their balance sheet are probably going to end up, in effect, having what we call, if you like, a, a synthetic buy-in on their own uh, scheme balance sheet, if you like. And a, a synthetic buy-in is the combination of um, assets that are designed to match the, the, the pension benefits but also some mechanism, if you like, to transfer the longevity risk or the risk that the members live longer than expected uh, out, out to third parties. So I guess many uh, schemes are, and those that are very much in the retain camp, they're thinking about how do we get to uh, a position, I guess, where this is essentially what we have. They're doing or getting to a position, I guess, where the scheme would be doing something very similar to what insurance companies are doing. But if you like the 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 risk associated with that and uh, would, would be something either kept in the in the pension scheme or alternatively, uh, and we've seen quite a bit of this in the Irish market as well, um, solutions that are if you like sponsor controlled, where sponsor finds a way to uh, transfer the, uh, the the assets supporting the pension benefits into a vehicle where it has it has control, and that's done in a way uh, that uh, that is satisfactory to the to, to the trust. So essentially, that's the crossroads that we're at. And if we think about the transfer, so we're here to talk about uh, risk transfer, I guess, tonight. So essentially, the three key ways to do this are through, through a buyout. And this is very much the traditional route that pension schemes in Ireland have taken. So a buyout is essentially where a premium is paid over to an insurance company. And in return, the insurance company takes on a responsibility for administering the benefits, paying the benefits. It has to do all the work in the background to invest in the right sort of way uh, in order to, to, to fund the benefits. It has capital to hold. It needs return. It's a, it's a for-profit uh, kind of organization. So premiums, I guess, uh, reflect that to an extent. Um, the next one, and we haven't seen much of this in the, in the Irish market, but Rachel and Sam, I guess, will talk about the, the UK market at a later point. And it is more often not the case, I guess, that schemes that are looking to transfer risk in the UK market would normally take, if you like, an interim step of a buy-in before ultimately they would go to, to buy-out. 
And a buy-in is very different. Uh, we look at it a number of different headings here, but a buy-in is quite a different kind of an arrangement uh, to a buy-out. Essentially, a buy-in is an investment contract um, that is held by the pension scheme uh, that is designed to match the, the benefits or the nature of the benefits that ultimately will need to be paid to the members. So the scheme, if you like, it does a transaction that in some respects is very similar to a buyout, but it holds a contract uh, in the trust. The insurance company will pay, if you like, in bulk um, the aggregate value of the benefits paid to, to members. That would typically happen on a monthly basis, and it's up to the trust to continue the relationship that it has with its members and continue to, to pay the benefits. Uh, another type of transaction that we see a reasonable amount of in the, the UK market in particular is uh, the idea of a longevity swap. So a lot of schemes, I guess, are concerned uh, about the impact, or maybe they've gone down the route of matching their investments to the extent that the biggest risk or the most important risk that they have left is that that members might live longer than expected. So schemes in that kind of mindset who do want to retain control of the assets, many of them uh, are thinking about doing uh, longevity swaps. And the idea here is essentially to pay to an insurance company what you think you will need to pay uh, in respect of the, the member benefits every month uh, for whatever the, the population that you choose to, to uh, enter the swap in respect of. And in return, the insurance company pays what actually that turns out to be. So if your members live a good deal longer than expected, you will be paying what you thought it was 10 or 20 years ago. In return, the insurance company might well be paying you a lot more now because your members uh, have not, uh, if you like, have not kind of died in line with what those expectations were at the outset. So essentially a longevity swap is a mechanism whereby schemes can retain control of the assets um, but can uh, prevent or protect the uh, the members against the potential that uh, the members on average live longer than expected. There's some very important differences between these contracts um, and really which one is right for a particular scheme is all about some of the nuances here. Some of these are important trustee considerations. I guess Jane is going to talk more about uh, trustee considerations. Um, some of these are very much uh, sponsor uh, considerations and just to, I won't go through every single thing here, but from a sponsor perspective, there's a very important difference in the accounting treatment between a buyout and a buy-in. And uh, this is one of the very important drivers, I guess, why sponsors are very often more minded to consider doing a buy-in before a buy-out. So essentially, if you do a buy-in transaction, you would expect that the sponsor would, the strain, if you like, associated with that, the funding strain, is normally, if you like, it goes through other comprehensive income or the OCI, it doesn't hit the P&L directly. And then at some future point in time, if you like, when the buy-in converts into a buy-out, that might um, uh, essentially, the, the pain, if you like, or the funding strain associated with doing something like this, it's already, if you like, um, gone through the OCI. While if a scheme was to engage directly in a buyout, so if you were to go to an insurance company and transfer the, ben, uh, the uh, pay premium and, um, uh, and insure uh, under that kind of a methodology, then that would normally be something that would hit the that would hit the P and L directly. Uh, so generally, sponsors would prefer buy-ins because there's a route there, I guess, to channel funding strain associated with doing something like that through the through through the P and L. 
Uh, from the scheme's perspective, you know, some of the important kind of considerations here, if you look at a buyout, um, essentially the covenant backing the member benefits, if you like, transfers to the insurance company, the scheme itself is no longer on the hook, if you like, for those benefits. So there's a transfer of members, there's a transfer of benefits, and there's a transfer of the covenant supporting those, those benefits and those members as well. While with a buy-in or a longevity swap, the scheme uh, retains, if you like, that responsibility. But there are other kind of lenses, if you like, um, under which a buy-in and a buy-out might have similar characteristics, and they might differ to uh, what, what happens in the event of a longevity swap. So with a buy-out or a buy-in, what happens is a premium, if you like, a, a big premium is paid up front uh, to the insurance company, which in essence is the present value of all the, the member benefits that the, the, um, the, the insurance company is going to have to pay out at some point in the future. While in the event of a longevity swap, there isn't a, a premium typically up front. There might be some collateral, something like that potentially, but um, normally what happens is it's just a swap and in effect what we thought it was going to be is swapped for what it actually turns out to be. And if everything turns out exactly in line with expectations, then nobody will ever pay anyone else a, a, a penny. So essentially they're the key characteristics and you know what works for a particular scheme is going to be very specific to the scheme. It's going to be very specific to the, uh, the circumstances of the, the, the scheme, the nature of the benefits uh, and also the nature of the, the sponsor. So looking I guess at the sponsor perspective, um, why are sponsors um, you know kind of uh, initiating or, or driving if we look at other, at other markets, what is it that kind of incentivizes sponsors to, to think about uh, doing buy-in or buy-out? And one of the key things here, I guess, is the cost of running a scheme. So we have things like the IORP directive and all that coming now, which are greatly increasing what the likely costs of running a scheme are going to be. So if we think about you know, what a sponsor's perspective about the present value of future scheme expenses might be, if we combine that with you know, the, the risk to their capital over time, the potential that longevity or investments or whatever cause a shortfall at some point in time, there's, if you like, some of the sponsor's capital is, is at risk. And also there's a stakeholder perception, like very often shareholders can be happy to see problems with, with pension uh, uh, benefits, if you like, moving off the, off the balance sheet. So from a sponsor perspective, there are things like that that we, you know, if you like, weigh very much in favor of removing pension liabilities from the balance sheet. There are other, um, if you like, factors. Some of these are perceptions. Some of these are reality. Um, you know, more often than not, there is an accounting impact uh, when, a, uh, when a sponsor uh, does a buy-in or buy-out. Potentially, there are additional funding requirements in order to um, ensure that there's no dilution, if you like, of maybe some of the the other members of the pension scheme and the assets that are covering their benefits, you know, very often it is the case that a sponsor might need to top up a scheme in order to um, make it a sensible course of action for the trustee to, to, to pursue the, the buy-in or buy-out. And there is a perception, I guess, that there is poor value for money in these transactions as well, which, uh, which you know, we would kind of uh, uh, perhaps beg to differ. Uh, you know, there is more and more competition in the market. We've seen changes now in Solvency 2, for example, that, um, you know, that create ways, I guess, where insurance companies can structure their balance sheets to take advantage, I guess, of, of, of treatments that are available in different geographies. 
And I guess you know competition ultimately will drive pricing in the right direction. We should see greater uh, greater affordability over time. Um, so you know I guess there are a number there are a number of balancing considerations there. Um, you know we think that over time, as schemes, if you like, become smaller and less relevant to the sponsor, and these kind of financial considerations on the left hand side become more important, that that is likely to see a, 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 an increase in, in activity in the market. You know, turning to the trustee perspective, and you know, I'm not going to spend time on this. We we'll let uh, we'll let Jane kind of um, uh, talk through most of the points here. But there's a lot that trustees need to think about uh, when something like a buyer a buy-in or buy-out is um, is proposed. And the UK market, again, Rachel and Sam can talk about this. But very often, you will see trustee-initiated uh, transactions uh, where a sponsor might have little or no role in them. But it's probably fair to say that in the Irish market, uh, in the current state of play, and in particular when, for example, schemes might have discretionary benefits uh, still in play, like very often you will need uh, a reasonable amount of sponsor involvement or sponsor drive, if you like, to make something happen in the, in the Irish market. The vast majority of activity in the Irish market to date has been driven by wind-ups. Um, so, you know, that very much has been, uh, I would say, that almost all of the, the transactions have, have, if you like, been, been, been driven by that. But, um, you know, as Deirdre mentioned in, in the introduction, we have seen, you know, at least one kind of, if you like, uh, transaction which closed in late 2017, which was done for very different reasons. This was done for risk management reasons, and essentially it was part of that scheme's journey plan, essentially to, uh, to, to engage in a buy-in transaction. So it's very important that these are not, like very much often when schemes go into wind-up, um, lowest price, boom, that's it, done. But it's very important to remember that buy-ins or buy-outs, they're not commodity transactions by any means. Uh, there are a lot of flexibilities that are potentially there. Many of these can help enormously in, in improving pricing. Many of these are um, security measures or other kind of contract features that would be very much in the, in, in the member interests. Again, Jane is going to talk about most of these, so I'm not going to spend time on them. But just to mention a few in particular that are very important from a risk management and a cost-saving perspective uh, that are uh, of relevance. Like one thing that we do see quite a lot of, uh, of late is when schemes are engaging in, in buy-ins or buy-outs, very often now there is a kind of a process whereby price, pricing might be established um, weeks or months even prior to the transaction itself, the scheme might hold an investment portfolio that is very similar, I guess, to the pricing basis that the insurance company uh, has, has priced the transaction on. Uh, and essentially, when the transaction itself is finally consummated, when the terms and conditions are all uh, signed and, and uh, dotted and crossed, then at that point in time, uh, assets rather than a cash premium can be transferred. And it's very, that's very important because one thing that a lot of schemes have been fairly blind to, I guess, that have gone through wind-ups over the last 10 years uh, has been the market risk associated with transacting. So if you sell your assets, uh, you raise cash, you pay premium to an insurance company, there's a lot of market risk there that could be a very disadvantageous to the amount of, of member benefits ultimately that the scheme can, uh, can, can pay for. So there are a lot of other kind of features here, I guess, that are uh, that are prevalent, I guess, and negotiable in buy-in and buy-out uh, transactions. 
But a buy-in, I guess, introduces a whole heap more flexibility. Because it's an investment contract um, that is held by the scheme, you don't necessarily have to match the, the scheme's benefits. Um, if, for example, there are certain types of benefits that are very expensive to, to price, or if the scheme was minded that it was more sensible for the scheme to retain that risk uh, and was likely to be more cost-effective to do that over the long run, then um, you know, not including those kind of benefits in a buy-in transaction might be a sensible course of action. So you know, again, Jane will talk about this, Darren will talk about this as well, but there are a lot more flexibilities under a lot of different headings that are available in buy-in transactions that can greatly help in managing the, the risk of getting there and the cost of the, of the transaction as well. What does the process look like? Conscious I'm kind of starting to run towards the end of my, my, my slot here, but broadly speaking, what happens is that generally some indicative pricing uh, is, is initially sought from insurance companies. And at that point in time, uh, once that indicative um, uh, pricing, if you like, has been fed into the funding considerations, the sponsors' accounting considerations, you know, considerations of equity across the, the different member cohorts, uh, and once, if you like, under all of the important lenses, I guess, that we've talked about, once the sponsor and the trustee are comfortable that uh, a transaction can be accommodated for a particular set of benefits um, uh, on the kind of pricing that it has uh, that is received, then if you like, it's moving into the next gear and doing two things. I guess one is moving forward with the process of selecting a, a preferred insurance company, but the other important thing is more generally getting the scheme ready, getting its assets uh, in shape, getting its data in shape, um, thinking precisely about what benefits uh, are, uh, are, are logically covered by the transaction. And if you like running those two kind of processes in parallel, one being getting ready, the other being moving forward with the selection process itself. Um, so generally we've seen two stages, if you like, to that. At, that's po at, at this point in time, schemes are in a position to select their preferred insurance company. Uh, and from that point onwards, then there may be a variety of different mechanisms that ensure that market risk is managed uh, and that, um, and, and essentially that the basis of pricing uh, by which the insurance company won the, the business in the first instance, that that can be, if you like, locked in while some of the, the detail, if you like, is, is being fleshed out. So there's been a lot of innovation, I guess, just in, in that particular part of the, the, the transaction um, over the past while. So finally, just on the pricing side of things, um, just to say there are some factors, I guess, which are outside the scheme's control. Uh, these are very much to do with the landscape that insurance companies operate in. Um, so for example, how much competition is there in the market? Um, what are the yields on the assets that the insurance companies would be buying in order to uh, to, to, uh, to, to fund the benefits? How much risk appetite essentially do the insurance companies have? So an insurance company could offer a much lower uh, premium, if you like, uh, to, to a, a scheme by holding you know, high-risk corporate bonds or, or illiquid assets like that. But in doing so, um, you know, it might be generating the same cash flows and it might be trying to ensure the, the, the same benefits over time. But nonetheless, it has default risk. It has to hold more capital against those investments. So um, that mightn't be something that might be consistent with the insurer's risk preferences. Um, you know, in contrast, uh, the insurance company could offer you a very high price, uh, backing the, 
um, backing the benefits with German government bonds, for example. So it's really up to uh, competitive forces, I guess, to drive insurance companies as far towards their their kind of risk appetite limits as uh, uh, as possible. Regulation is important. Solvency too has been a, a, a kind of a major, in particular in the UK market, we've had matching adjustment and some of these kind of technical um, uh, things going on in, in terms of how insurance companies are regulated. All these have had important uh, uh, pricing implications. Access to reinsurance, um, people constraints um, is another uh, kind of big issue, I guess, in particular in the UK market. Um, and you know we do see typical things like, for example, in the Irish market, we see periods, long periods of time where one insurance company might win pretty much everything that's going because simply they have the capacity to take on the business at the time, and then that might completely change. So we do see cycles in the market, and schemes can, um, you know, while some of these things are outside the scheme's control, uh, certainly there are ways and means to think about well how best to uh, to go about accessing the most advantageous pricing. There are some pricing factors, I guess, that are within uh, a scheme's control. Most of these are to do with basic preparation. You know, having your data ready, uh, knowing exactly what it is that you that you want to insure, um, making sure that the benefits that you do go and insure are matched to where insurance companies have capacity and have appetite, if you like, to take on uh, to take on new risks. Uh, other things, I guess, that schemes can do is they can go through member option exercises uh, in advance. And all these things, I guess, help to reduce the, uh, if you like, the, the, the likely deficit having uh, transacted a, 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 a bulk annuity um, a deal. The other kind of important aspect to this is, is, if you like, the volatility around all this and ensuring that the journey, if you like, from the scheme, you know, holding an investment portfolio to holding a bulk insurance contract, that the volatility around that process, if you like, can be minimized. And there is quite a lot of technology in the in the markets and how insurance companies are prepared to accommodate larger transactions in particular that can greatly help in ensuring that if a scheme has a particular funding level today, if it's well funded, that it's not going to jeopardize that through the various different um, um, aspects, if you like, of transferring a premium across to an insurance company. So I guess that's, that's, that's really it. Just to summarize... Um, you know, we do see that historically in Ireland, you know, this has been very much a wind-up driven activity, but we do think that is going to change, in particular as cost pressures uh, uh, will kind of uh, have sponsors thinking about the long-term viability of running, running schemes. Um, you know, as that happens, we do think that buy-in is going to become an increasingly important step in getting ultimately to, to buy out and ultimately to, to wind up. Um, we will, like uh, we've seen, I guess, in the UK market, we will see increasing innovation uh, from the insurance companies um, and from the industry, I guess, just in supporting schemes in getting better outcomes. And in terms of succeeding and getting the right outcome, you know, key really is, is preparation. There's a lot that schemes can do, I guess, in, in, in preparing and uh, ensuring that they get the best outcome. Join us in part two, where Jane and Darren from Matheson discuss the pensions law and insurance law considerations of these transactions. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Pensions Podcast. For more information, go to matheson.com forward slash pensions.